Hi there. What I'd like to talk to you about today, it's a topic of illness. More specifically, how we can deal with the illness of those around us. By illness, I don't mean someone who's got a cold or has broken a finger, although these principles that I'm about to discuss will apply to those. But I'm talking about more serious chronic illnesses, the things that scare all of us. When a friend, when a colleague, when someone we know has a serious chronic illness, is dealing with cancer, is dealing with a serious autoimmune disorder, long-term panic disorder, Lyme disease, things that are difficult to deal with. This is something that even professionals like myself or my beloved colleagues who've been doing this for decades can still fall short when we have a moment of lapse of judgment or not being in the moment where we can say a word or a phrase or a sentence that can really do some harm. So this, I hope, doesn't come off as berating because that's not my intention. Although it's something that's very serious and something that I see day in, day out for the decades that I've worked, even from professionals like myself or some of the doctors that I've worked with over long periods of time, who we all do this for a living. It's very easy to do harm when we are not conscious of our words. And as attention becomes more of a, how can I put it, rare commodity, it becomes easier to say a phrase, a couple of phrases unconsciously and put some suffering in the lap of someone who's already suffering. So before I get into some do's and don'ts, the basic thing to remember that the biggest gift we give someone who's dealing with such a hardship is our undivided attention. Truly, that's the biggest gift that we can give to the other as well as ourselves, Because we ourselves are never or rarely ever present with someone with that undivided attention. Our minds are all over the place. And because of that, we can actually lack the sensitivity that we can offer someone who is suffering. So first and foremost, we have to be present. And we have to learn to tolerate seeing the other person in their suffering. We do this without trying to fix them or deny the fact that they're ill because we really can't do anything but show up and be present. So the way that starts, and this is one of the first do's of what we do when we come across that kind of illness, is to check our own anxiety. Nothing brings up anxiety like seeing somebody else in their illness. It kicks up all kinds of conscious and unconscious fears for all of us. And if not all, I would say 99% of us, because for most of us, we haven't really dealt with our own anxiety around death and dying. So when somebody comes up to us or we come across someone, who's dealing with a serious illness, it scares the bejesus out of us because it brings up all of our fears of mortality. So first and foremost, again, 
we just check our anxiety. We're about to walk into a hospital room. We run into someone on a street who's lost their hair, whose color is gray because of the chemo they're going through, who can barely walk because of the Lyme disease they're suffering from. Whatever the issue is, we check ourselves. And remember, as I've talked about over and over before, the best way to do that is to drop into the physical body. So you see someone, you check your breathing, drop your breathing down, feel your hands and feet, ground yourself. The next step of a do is to learn how to hold space. And really all that means is learn to be in your own body and then listen, right? It's very hard for us, culturally speaking, to listen. This again ties into the anxiety and it's not a malicious thing. Many of us want to be helpful. We want to offer something because helplessness is really, really difficult. So we have to hold our helplessness here and hold space and just listen, really listen. What are they going through? Has to really explain to you what's going on. So their joint pains or how nauseous they get after their chemo or the fact that they can't sleep or the anxiety is so profound that they're actually paralyzed and they lay awake at night, soak it in. Don't take it on, you can't take it on, but you can actually fully, fully listen. And because this is something that's invisible, it might feel like, well, what the hell am I doing? What can I, I gotta do something. Just the opposite. Notice for a fact, the person who's telling you these things might have said the same thing to 20 other people, and most of the other 20 would not have listened. They would have jumped into some of the things that we're going to talk about in a little bit in the don't do column. So listening while being in your body is really, really powerful. As you're listening, another do is do ask them how they are. Not a leading question because you need to be told that they're doing better or they're fine. Truly, how are you? How are you doing? How are you dealing with this? So this three things, checking our anxiety, learning how to hold space and listen, and then truly asking them how they are, not to jump in with the interjection of, hey, this is a great thing to do. Here's something you should do. Just holding those three would be more than most people get when they're dealing with something. Then this fourth one is really, really important, which kind of connects to asking how they are. When you have finished listening, when, they, when actually they have stopped talking and then you're done with the listening part, if you have any suggestions, ask permission. Ask permission before you throw the suggestions out there. Right? This is a very common thing. It can come from a good place in that we want to offer some healer, a diet, a book, something that might be helpful to them that they might not have thought of. But we have to ask if it's okay. Because sometimes people are overwhelmed. Sometimes they've turned over millions of stones and nothing has happened. So be very conscious. This is a tricky one because it feels like we're, we're coming from a good place. I have a suggestion. You got to meet this woman. She's an amazing doctor. Wonderful. Ask permission. I have a suggestion for you. Are you interested? Oh, no, no, no. I'm just dealing with so many doctors now. You have to be okay. When someone says that to you, you have to be conscious 
of not going into a manipulative place or a place where you have a chip on your shoulder now because the person doesn't want to take your suggestion, right? And then another do that we forget, especially with more serious illnesses, is offering concrete help. You know, can I walk your dog? Tell me when your treatment days are. How are you feeling? Do you need someone to watch your kids for a couple hours so you can take a nap? Um, your joints are hurting. I know how sick you get after your treatment. Can I do some food shopping for you? Now, those of you who are caretakers, you have to watch this, obviously, because you're going to want to fix it. But if you come from a healthy place, you can actually offer. You'd be amazed how so many people, because we're all so busy, we actually forget that concrete help like that can do wonders for someone. And it's something that we don't do not just because we're busy, we also don't really realize that such simple things can really help someone, can really put a dent in the heaviness that they're carrying. So those are some of the do's. Sit with yourself, see what else comes up. I'm sure you'll have some ideas once you sit with it and apply yourself to see what are some things that you can offer. But again, always remember, you have to check your own anxiety. The intention of how we come at this is as important as our action. In some ways, more important. So always check ourselves. Now, some of the don'ts, the first and foremost I would say, is assuming that we know what the other person is going through. This is again, an automatic response. It's not a malicious thing, but a very common thing that I hear, that I hear patients complain about, is people right away go, oh, I know what you're going through. And the truth is we don't. So always be conscious. This is something even, I mean, literally, I've seen doctors do this. I've seen myself do this. Having an illness like this person has, oh, I, I know what that was like. No, we don't, because no two people are the same. And again, it's one of the ways that on a subtle level, we want to assert control by saying, I know what you're going through is our unconscious mind of not wanting to hold our helplessness. We cannot hold our helplessness, so we want to jump in and say something like that. This is probably one of the most common complaints that I get from my patients who are dealing with serious illness. When people that they love or people that they know or colleagues will just say something like that. You know, every situation is different. I was dealing with someone treating someone not um, that long ago who was dealing with their partner going through early onset Alzheimer's, right? And he was telling me how he's going, his husband is going through this early onset, very early onset. And, you know, lovely colleague at his work was telling him about how, oh, I know what this is like because my father is going through that. Well, no, a 48-year-old man going through Alzheimer's and an 86-year-old man going through Alzheimer's are two different experiences. It sounds sweet. We want to connect with someone. We cannot assume that, right? So this really had hurt this person. Again, is it malicious? No. Is it unconscious? Absolutely. So first and foremost, again, we cannot assume that we know what the other person is going through. Then, Saying things like, and this is an amazing thing. I mean, again, I myself can fall into this unless I'm very conscious. As a clinician, 
I look at people's colors, their pallor, their eyes. And I can say something like, you look good. You look great. And it's so deadly to the other person because I'm not really checking to see how they're feeling. So instead of asking, how are you doing? I can say, you look great, which is just a clinical information for myself. Oh, the treatment they're doing is helping them. Or, you know, the herbs they're taking or the chemo they're doing or whatever. The surgery was helpful. But the person can be feeling horrible. They can be feeling terrible. So this is a very common thing. This is another one of those common things that my patients tell me. If one more person told me I fucking look great, I'm going to jump out the window. I feel like shit. Right? Again, not a bad intent. But throwing these words out there without connecting with how the other person is feeling can be harmful. Another good one, especially uh, another good one not to do, not a good one. Another good one not to do, which is very common in our new age uh, healing group, is your illness has a purpose. This has a reason. I mean, this is insane, right? This is one of the most cruel things that one can say to someone. Because we're not God. We have no idea of what's going on there. So we have to really stay conscious because that's a very cruel thing to say. Really, you, you, know, you know the reason this person is suffering, that they're dying at 36 or 46 from this horrible illness is a purpose. So be aware of this word that we throw out there, this purpose piece. We're not the divine unless you have a direct line to the divine, which if you remembered your true nature, you would never say something so unconscious. Be aware of that. This is one of those profound ones where we cannot hold our own anxiety and we barf up this little turd pile on someone who's already suffering. Your illness has a purpose. There's a reason for this. Another one that's just as wacky, but maybe not as sharp, is you'll be fine. You're going to be okay. Again, it can come from a good place. But if you're a person that's dealing with a serious illness, that's dealing with cancer, if you're a person that actually has gone through cancer and the surgeries and the chemo, even then, you're going to be scared. It's not like, oh, it's over. You're going to be going in for your checkups three months, six months, nine months, literally frightened to death of what the result's going to be. Just because you managed to beat it once, you're always going to be looking through the side of your I looking out to see if the cancer is going to return. So the fear will be there. So this thing of you'll be fine or you're all okay now because you beat it, you're a survivor. Again, this doesn't make room for the other person's suffering, right? They can have a tremendous amount of anxiety or fear. And by saying this, we actually don't allow them to keep feeling their feelings of whatever that needs to come up and for them to deal with it. So, avoiding the subject of illness is another one. That's another don't. So, one is we jump in and we try to fix it. Another one that's amazing, I watch people interact with other people who are, again, friends, family members. They act like the person is not sick, like there's nothing going on. Now, I'm not saying you need to walk in there and look at their blood workup. Just awareness of, like, how are you is very powerful. This one's totally connected totally connected to our own fear of illness. The people that cannot hold their own fear around mortality will act like nothing's going on. So the person will be there 
having gone through surgery, barely can walk, and the other person will not even act like there's an illness. They'll act like nothing's going on. They'll talk about whatever, food, the weather, cooking, politics. Remember, holding space, holding and giving or undivided attention is such a profound gift. So we don't need to make it just about the illness that can go one way, but to act like the other person is not ill or not suffering is also disrespectful to the process. Now, you don't have to turn into Mother Teresa. If it's a loaded thing for you, you don't need to jump into it, but don't interact with someone till you can hold space for them. At the minimum, we don't want to add to the heavy burden that someone's carrying when they're dealing with such a heavy-duty thing, right? And the last one of the don'ts, which connects with the New Agey movement, is think positive. You know, when someone can barely walk because they're in so much pain, they can barely sleep because they're so anxious. To say to them, think positive, it's such an insane thing to do, right? It's not an issue of thinking positive. They have to deal with their suffering. They have to deal with their pain. To say to them, think positive is a very cruel thing because what we're saying to them is you're not okay the way you are. Go in denial with your suffering and just distract yourself because that's certainly what I do. That's what we're really saying. So we have to, again, be conscious, be careful of the words that come out of our mouth. And again, it's human. It's human nature. It's not just out of cruelty. You know, we mean well, most of us anyway. We want good for other people. And I've talked to you about this before. Back in the days when I used to work in AIDS wards and all these new meds, retrovirals, haven't, hadn't been out and people were dying and they were dying young. And these poor doctors would walk in and they were so heartbroken because that buried God knows how many people that week. And literally the person was 24, 48, 72 hours away from death, skeleton laying on a bed. And they would walk in and what are they going to say? Instead of holding space, it would be like, you look great. You look good. You look good today. And you could just see the look of confusion and pain on that poor man, poor young man's face of like, oh my God, like I need to be seen. To walk in here when I have all these tubes coming all over me I'm literally like 90 pounds. How can you say I look great? So is that doctor an asshole? By God, no. That's someone who's dedicated their life to helping someone. Again, it's the unconsciousness and the level of anxiety where we just say things like that because we don't know how to hold space. So holding space is a practice. So for those of you, any of you who are around sick people, who've made these mistakes of the don'ts. Next time you come around them, face up to it. Hey, I'm sorry I said that to you last time. I just want to listen. I wasn't really listening. And whatever the thing is, I was unconscious. I was scared. I wasn't present enough. How are you doing? Do that while you feel your body. Do that while you're holding your center. It's an amazing gift to give someone. And remember, our presence is the only gift we have, truly. Everything else is secondary. Our undivided attention is the biggest gift we have for ourselves, as well as what we can offer to others. So be present, 
and see what comes up. Don't try to fix it. Don't try to deny it. And just realize you are enough. It's actually more than enough if you learn how to apply it consciously. Sending you lots of love. Talk to you soon.